0: Good morning, I'm Peggy, and um, I'm reading from Ephesians, the first chapter, uh, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, This is the word of our Lord. You may be seated. My boys on the on the what do you even call that? AV desk this morning. Thank you. Um, it's fun. First time doing that. So, um, good morning. My name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption. Tucson and um, we've just had a great service our run, run ready, right so far and some great things going on this morning um, thank you to the, uh, the 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 women that shared this morning um, about the healing journey that was just such a rich and powerful and full-time our uh, run ready and then that last song just so good and and, and I pray and trust it will continue in this this theme of hope um, and of submission To to Christ to His authority and um, in in all things and so we're gonna get into it um, together this morning I think I forgot to say I have a stutter so there it is on cue and um, if uh, if you're new or you've never heard me preach before I always want to make sure people know that so you can we can focus on God's word and not trying to figure out what I'm trying to do it's not hip hop Um, (laughs) but. With that, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians um, chapter 1. We'll be in there verses 3 through 10 this morning, and I'll explain in a bit. We're going to be going through it a little bit differently this morning and how we walk through it, um, because this week and next week are a bit different. We find ourselves in a short series. I'll explain that some more in a moment. But um, oh, sorry. If you don't have a Bible, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up, and we will get you one? Okay, we want to make sure you have a copy of God's Word to follow along with, to track with. Um, and if you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. In español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene por su mano y diga español, y si no estamos libro de capítulo 1 and again this is our gift to you so please keep it and uh, especially this week and, and uh, next week I mean every week but we want to make sure we are coming under God's word and that we all have a copy of that to uh, to go into and to and to learn from And um, as I now transition into what's historically called the pastoral prayer, to prepare us to get into God's Word, to again submit to Him and to learn from Him and from what He would say and how He would shape us, um, I I also want to pray for our country and um, just the reality that we're in this morning of, uh, of absolute horrific brokenness in our world, that things are not the way they should be, that um, in less than 24 hours, there were two mass killings. And um, those remind us we not only will, will pray for El Paso and for Dayton, Ohio, and, um, and also just thinking in that 24-hour span, how much other just brokenness is, is going on in homes, in, in communities. Unities in different places and in, in, in individuals' hearts, as Brittany shared this morning, things that some of us will never see or know of um, that are behind uh, a face that we feel like we have to have on. So, th- that said, let us pray um, with hearts of contrition, um, hope, yes, but, but, but let us sit in the, in the reality of brokenness and sin in the world. So let's um, pray uh, go before our our good and powerful King. Heavenly Father, we we come before you in prayer um, in the name of Jesus, the one who has resurrected from the dead, who is resurrecting us um, through faith in him that the growing into his likeness, we have great hope in our own lives, great hope in your promise, Lord Jesus, to return, your promise and the picture we get from revelation that right now in this moment you say you're on the throne making all things new and yet the reality of the world that we're in it's sometimes like this we don't want to shy away from saying it's hard to imagine that that's true lord there is sin and brokenness um, on such deep levels lord we pray for those in el paso and dayton ohio lord whose worlds have been shattered whose communities are no longer feel safe, um, who go in shopping with your kids to quickly pick something up on the way to school or on the way to a cookout or whatever it might be. Probably things that many of us have done and will do even today that, that we're reminded of, 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 of brokenness, of evil, of sin. And so, Lord, in all that, we, I don't want to try to make sense of it right now. We just want to pray for those who are suffering. And Lord, pray that through our time now in your word, you will shape us, as was said earlier, not to play church, not to kind of hang our hats on uh, doing what we should do on Sunday morning, but that every facet of our life will be shaped and informed by who you are, by what you're doing, by who you say we are, and who you call us to be as your people, your church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we get into this series, um, Hard Conversations... Uh, we'll be in Calvinism this week and then Complementarianism next week. And um, if you don't get the email or you get it and quickly delete that, um, we, we did, which no one does, right? We, we did explain very briefly just what to expect in these couple weeks together. And as I was thinking about it, hard conversations, what kept coming to mind for me was a relationship I had in high school with a coach that... Um, informed that I had a number of hard conversations with. And um, the relationship we had really informed the way I would kind of respond to him as my as my coach. So when I was, um, uh, between my sophomore year and junior year of high school, I moved from Arkansas to here, to Tucson, Arizona. And some of you say, wow, that must have been a culture shock. And yes, it was. The first. The bigger culture shock came before that when I moved from San Diego to Arkansas. And then I moved from Arkansas to here. And as if it wasn't bad enough to be a new kid in a new school halfway through high school, before school even started, um, I found myself walking out of a locker room onto a cool deck wearing a Speedo for the first time in my entire life, uh, about to meet people I'd never met before. The only person I knew was my cousin, who was a freshman, so he didn't know anyone. And um, I'm just like, you know, howdy, y'all, right? Like, um... But um, that isn't even the main part of the story, but just so sorry for the image. But it just it just gives you, builds some context for this relationship. Well, that first day, the coach came over and introduced himself and was like, you don't look like a swimmer, and you're, I can tell you're not a swimmer um, by how you swim and all these things. And throughout the throughout that time, though, he was a Christian, which as I got to know throughout the next couple of months, that was not as common as it was in Arkansas for me, that my school I was a part of, the culture I had now entered back into was was less safe, if you will, for good and for bad, for kind of a Christian, right? Less influenced by Christian culture. Well, that said, um, fast forward to the end of the swim season. I, had start, I actually learned how to swim, learned how to flip around, you know, and do laps and all these different things. And, um, and, and, and the coach, one day, I'm in there swimming, kind of after practice, doing some extra laps, and he comes running over to me and is like, get out of the pool right now. And I was like, why? You know, like no. And he's and so I kept swimming some laps. He's like, get out right now. Like you don't understand, but you know, trust me. And finally I could tell by his tone that he was serious and that he wanted me to get out of the pool. And there wasn't a thundercloud, right? It was end of monsoon season. And so I I didn't understand, but throughout the, the previous few months, we had developed a relationship of trust. He was, as I said, a Christian. He had me and a couple other guys over to his house once a week, and he would talk. Talk through difficult conversations and just what it looked like to be a Christian in this context and all these things. And he had um, heard my story. I l- lived at my aunt's house. I-, I slept on her couch, and he kind of took me under his wing and 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 got to know me. And and I was a clown, by the way. I was um, just did some crazy things, ridiculous things. And sometimes he would talk to me like he was this time, be like, "Get out of the pool." because I would do stupid things. I was wearing one time I wore like fins for like half the practice and I was just zooming and you know and um well fast forward to this time when he's like get out of the pool. Some of you who swim or run track or things like that know there's such a thing that I didn't know about called tapering and I was in this process. It was right toward the end of the, end of the year, and there's going to be, like, meets, you know, all the championship meets and stuff, and he was preparing me, and I had all this extra energy. I didn't even know about it. I didn't even know why, so I'm in there doing extra laps, just thinking, you know, like, I have all this energy. I can't help myself, and he's like, no, listen, you're meant to save that because there's this, all the championship meets coming up. You're supposed to have this sense of, like, extra energy, and, like, you just, you're chomping at the beat, and I had never experienced that. Again, some, you who are track athletes or swimmers, you know what this is. I had no idea. So I'm just in there like, oh, look, I can actually do the b- 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 butterfly now, right? And, um, and I'm not just jumping off the bottom of the pool to do it. And, you know, and, and, and so I felt empowered in all this, but he, he knew something that I didn't know. And it, it was really built upon this, this relationship of trust that I had with him, that something I didn't understand in the moment informed the conversation. And that's where we are in these couple weeks as we enter into talking about Calvinism, complementarianism. And again, I even want to acknowledge some of us probably don't even know those terms yet. We'll explain them this week and next week and walk through them. But less important than let me explain to you our position and where we are and what we believe and what the scriptures say. Well, we will do that some. This time is more the heart behind this is to inform the conversation to remind us of the relationship we have as a church, as a church community, to slow down and to say, these conversations are already happening, right? In our membership class, in our membership process, these two things are by far the most common points of tension, and even pain, and confusion, and, and conversation, and, 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 and candidly, we as a church, and, and just in different parts of our church, these aren't always handled well. And so right now, what we wanna do is slow down and, 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 and talk about who we are, And and kind of define the relationship, if you will, and form the relational climate. And so this time, I was even thinking about it's more like a a shepherding moment together where as a pastor, one of the images used is that pastor is like a shepherd, an under-shepherd, that Jesus, the good shepherd, right, from John 10, who who cares for his flock and, and will pursue any that walk away and stuff, that an aspect of being pastors is to be shepherding. And so this moment is more like that. This is less of the correcting, right? Using the shepherd's crook and more of that moment by the campfire, right? Like snuggling up with the sheep. That's what we're doing this morning. Um, sorry, I looked right at David Wagner's like 6'4 and beard and stuff. Um, metaphorically, okay? So, um, we're going to have this time together and, and, and so, again, the, the heart behind this is that we would, we would enter in and, yes, get some understanding of what is Calvinism, what does the church believe about this, and some big words like predestination and God's sovereignty and election and stuff like that, that we will talk some about that. But, but, but hear me now, okay? The, the goal for this week and for next week is not that you could check off a list of things and say, yes, I, I agree with all this, or yes, I absolutely am on the same page, that, but rather that there would be some clarity and some understanding. Um, but, but again, more than that, that there would be, be trust and together submission to God's word and even hope and, and love that would inform our conversations. All right? Amen? So amen means yes, I'm, I'm tracking. And it doesn't have to mean you said amen, so you're a Calvinist now. No, it's um, you, 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 you're tracking with the heart of what we're doing. So let's dive into it here together. Um, first and foremost, this conversation, right, as we talk about God's sovereignty and election and predestination and all these things, we need to pause and find ourselves in, in, in God's story okay because a danger that sadly even uh, often reformed complementarians are some of the worst culprits of this is we tend to silo stuff out we tend to say oh yeah we know god we know the gospel right that's kind of that's kind of poor man's theology that's kind of we know entry level stuff or the story right we know that stuff but um but then we we have kind of high level theology that we go and we silo out and there is such Danger in that, so let me read to you um, and I forgot my glasses again, by the way, but i 'm not going to go through what we did last time I preached it 's just I need to learn the hard way so i 'm going to be really close here. Um, this is something i didn 't even know how to do this all right. I know we have a number of scholars in here, which I am not, um, you know professors and lawyers and things like that. Um, I took notes in a class I had from a seminary professor, um, Mike Williams, who's a professor of systematic theology at Covenant Seminary, um, where I got a degree and some of you are in seminary with and stuff. Well, this isn't stuff he wrote. This is stuff he said, and it's me writing down. So I don't know how you cite that, by the way, okay? So... so just throwing it out there on the front end, that's what I'm about to quote here is from a class that he just went off and this he's older, but he just, he, he went off. So this is what he said about finding ourselves constantly in the story. There is a de historicizing and a decovenanting covenanting of the powers of God. When we systematize him into neat lists, we think all we need is our reason to know and walk with God. This comes from how deeply we function out of Greek natural thought. Man, I wanna, we need to go off on that for a minute and just recognize some of us in our effort, in our, in our arrogant theologizing are actually reflecting less of Jesus and more of um, a- Atheist or deist Greek philosophers. Okay, so that's what he's saying there is we need to kind of check ourselves, all right, and recognize we're more like Greek philosophers and less like the scriptures themselves. Okay, anyway, let's pick back up. So we don't start with the story of God or scripture at all. Instead, we look for biblical proofs for what we have arrived at through reason. And this all ends up being pretty reactive. I love this phrase. It's like a build a God workshop. In scripture, there is no one list of attributes of God. We have depersonalized God, turning him into a thing to be explained. We don't define God. He defines or explains himself. For example, when we describe and introduce our wives, we don't define wifehood, but give personal information, right? Tell stories. Run away from the abstract, depersonalized approach to God. You don't have to engage God when he is distant. But when you engage him in story, you have to either follow him or resist him. And again, this is a professor of systematic theology, okay, who's saying this, who's critiquing, systematizing God. And again, systematizing, just so all of us know, is putting a little neat list and saying, oh, God is this, this is his character, these are his attributes, these are all these things, and we have it broken down here. And that can be helpful, but when we do that outside of submitting to the bigger picture of what God has revealed about himself, who he has revealed himself to be, Then we're in tremendous danger. And we'll get into some of those things that I think we need to recognize we're operating out of. So I say this stuff at the beginning here of this sermon to kind of call ourselves out. Okay, just to be totally clear, we are, we would say we are a reformed, complementarian church. And I'll get into some of those definitions and stuff. But before that, we need to recognize the dangers and even the things we tend to perpetuate by just staying in those camps, if you will. In, in, in fact, I, I asked if I could do this. Um, Kristen Tovar, a, a good friend, um, she, she wrote some prayers this morning just to encourage me as we're going into these hard sermons and different things, and, and, and I won't read all of them, but one, her, her long, last prayer actually, I think, just pointed this out. So she had already been praying, and it was beautiful and eloquent and, and so good and just talked about God helping us to be humble and, and learn alongside one another. And then she said this, Oh, I pray we are not so distracted or focused on these issues that we become tied up in them and hinder spreading the good news of Jesus to a world around us that needs it so badly. And again, I just want to recognize that's what we tend to do. Some of us probably even as we come into this and we see, oh, Calvinism, here goes. I'm pumped. All right, like roll up your sleeves and others who are like, oh, I'm pumped. And now, oh, I saw there's a Q&A afterward, like get, get your dukes up. I'm about to go after this. And, right? and we just tend to do this and, 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 and we, we, we find ourselves outside of who we are as God's people and, and what it means to, to, to walk accordingly to who he is. And to who he's called us to, and and so with that, let me now switch gears because though the terms can be difficult, I, I want us to be clear uh, about who we are and what we are saying. So just to kind of give us some some groundwork, let's read now that scripture all the way through. And there are tons of others I could give that. Res- kind of support Calvinism, Reformed theology. And then I know also tons of others that would support what's called a more Arminian theology, or would emphasize, if you will, um, free will, and would define it a little bit differently, and would define God's sovereignty differently. Well, that said, this is the one we're just going to kind of come under okay, to shape our time. So, let's read again this, this whole section here, from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. Blessed be which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in heaven, things in heaven, and things on earth. All right, A.W. Tozer said, the most important things about us as humans is what comes into our minds when we think of God and when we think of ourselves. And I would say to you that our position, if you will, our where we come, that's even, even that is position, are the lenses through which we see, Okay, has to do with, ultimately, are we viewing God? Are we understanding God rightly? And from there, are we understanding ourselves rightly? And so with that, it's, uh, our conviction is that we would have a high view of God or a right view of God. And then from there, that would inform and shape how we view ourselves, how we operate, how we function, very practically too. So let me just now, again, to help for, for clarity's sake, let me give some definitions and terms just so we understand what we're talking about. So this is one I just typed up. I just wanted to go to the right, most trusted source, Wikipedia. No, but this is how Wikipedia would define predestination. There were tons of others, and, but here's one that, that, that I think is helpful. It's the divine foreordaining of all that will happen, especially with regard to the salvation of some and not of others. It has particularly associated with the teachings of St. Augustine of Hippo and John Calvin. And that's why it's called Calvinism. And even those, I'll just say for a moment, right, some of this is more information, some of you care for, but even Reformed theology and Calvinism is so confusing, all right? There are people who would say say they're Reformed, and they would say the fact that we have baptized adult baptism, or baptism, um, like believers' baptism, by immersion, they would say, well, now you're no longer reformed because you do that. And some would say, well, you know, covenant theology falls under that, and would say infant baptism is necessarily connected to that. And, well, others would say, well, we, I believe in predestination, but I don't ascribe to everything that Calvin taught. And it's, man, it's a circus. Okay, so that said, we're going to use the term and not hide away from it because it's as we've talked about so hard and so contentious and so loaded would say, yes, for the most part, this would identify or kind of define our, where we come from as a church. But, but I just want to even acknowledge, even these terms can be difficult. So what do we think? What's in our membership packet? A couple things I'll just walk through, and this is all online. This is, we walk through this in our membership packet, but um, I just want to again, be, be clear. Cause I think it's really unloving if we're not clear, even though it's hard. So let's be clear. So this is from the third point in our belief in doctrines online about who is God, the triune God. Just I'll pick up under immortal. That God is immortal and eternal. He perfectly and exhaustively knows the end from the beginning, sustains and sovereignly rules over all things. And providentially brings about his eternal good purposes to redeem a people for himself and restore his fallen creation to the praise of his glorious grace. It's who God is. God is sovereign, as, as um, Professor Williams said, right? We don't conjure up, we don't build a God, right? Like build a bear, right? We don't pick, oh no, I want him a little more squishy than this version, so I'll add a little more fluff, or I'll do, right? That, no, God presents himself. This is who I am, okay? And so, so the, 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 that, that shapes us. And, and then from there, the plan of God. We believe that from all eternity, God determined in grace to save a great multitude of guilty sinners from every tribe and language and people and nation, and to this end foreknew them and chose them we believe that God justifies and sanctifies those who by grace have faith in Jesus and that he will one day glorify them again, all to the praise of his glorious grace in love. God commands and implores all people to repent and believe having set his saving love on those he has chosen and having ordained Christ to be their redeemer. And again, just kind of quick pause there. Um, when we preach through a Ephesians, last year, we drew up a blog or kind of wrote up something that was not by any means exhaustive or all this, but it, again, articulated our heart, shared our position, Um, but but again, more than that, let's just, again, check in, right? Like, sometimes my wife and I, when we're having a strong conversation, you know, are we alone in that? Um, Others who have those rights, sometimes you need to kind of time out. Um, We're on the same team, right? Like, remember, I'm for you. Usually, she's saying that to me, because all of a sudden, she's like, I'm not your opponent right now, and, um, you know, and so, so this, this is like pause remember like the bigger picture is not just oh there you go like beat you with what we have online what our membership policy is or what we state we believe and all this stuff but more of I mean, we just want to be clear that as part of the discipleship process alright for every one of you if you're in this room whether you're a follower of Jesus or not hear me now our heart and our conviction and our trust and our prayer is that you are a growing disciple or follower of jesus that's the bottom line desire not that you would wave the flag of Calvinist. not that you would be able to explain the tulip which we don't even need to get into all that right now like not that you'd be able to do all these things or sign off on i'm absolutely a complementarian right next week we'll get into that stuff that um which has to do by the way with um kind of roles and authority uh, most commonly in the church and in the home regarding men and women so yes, big one. Again, we'll, we'll be there next week, another loaded conversation, very hard one. Either way, the goal is not sign on the dotted line here in these things, but that, that, that we would be growing as followers of Jesus. And hear me again, I think it would be unloving if we were to pretend like these things don't shape and inform how we disciple Okay, they, 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 I want to be clear that we do hold these positions, that these are the lenses through which we come at. If you go back to the first story, right, of me when I swam, that ultimately my coach saying, listen, this is my role as a coach. I'm not saying I'm the best coach in the world or I'm, that I have it all figured out or I know every coaching tactic, but I'm committed to the best as I understand to help you develop as a swimmer. I'm going to go about that, and, this is, and I care about you, and hopefully I'm, I'm, I'm proving my care and my love for you, and so um, that I just want to inform this, and obviously at some point he, I, or, you know, we can say, well, I don't really trust your coaching anymore, but, 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 but the heart behind this is to, again, just to be clear. And so there are a couple things before we get into a lot of the incredible dangers and pains that are associated with Calvinism, with Reformed theology. I just want to also really unashamedly or, or, or more hopefully clearly share, I think there's some really good stuff that a lot of who we are as a a church, how I think we, when we sing songs, how I preach, honestly, how we share our faith or evangelize, that I think are directly connected to our reformed or Calvinistic position. Um, A few of those is, safety. I, I, there's a story I told, if some of you guys remember, I'm kind of a wannabe gangster um, growing up in the neighborhood I did, and where it just the movies I watched in the early 90s and stuff, I, um, I won't get into all that. But I remember this time that before I even fully understood it, I, that God's sovereignty, like changed my life. I was standing in kind of a rough neighborhood and I just remember like shouting out as like a 12 year old with my buddies, you know, I don't even remember exactly what it, what I was shouting, but um, probably had some cuss words in there and probably, but in that, what it was was I was overwhelmed with the reality that even if I got shot, cause early nineties kind of hood, that was the big fear, right? Drive by, um, always in the hood, anyone? Like that was, right? Um, so I just remember being like, whatever, like, Still boy, where are you at? You know, whatever happens, like, I'll be okay. That just flew over 95% of your heads. But those of you that, 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 that connected with, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> but it was just this sense of, like, whatever happens, I'm safe. And, and that God's bigness, his sovereignty, going back here to Ephesians 1, just the fact that he is reconciling all things, that, 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 that he is um, bringing about the guarantee of our inheritance that is found in him, that there's, there's a security and a safety and a confidence and a promise that, that life can be built upon. I would connect it to the things that, that were shared earlier about the healing journey, um, that, that God's sovereignty and the trust we can have in him brings a great sense of safety and security and, and, and hope and, and confidence, um, that there's a, a freedom to walk in grace That that there's, um, when we talk about all of life is all for Jesus, that phrase Came from a Dutch reformer, um, reform theology Abraham Kuyper, and, and and who talked about Jesus's authority and dominion and, and 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 prominence over every square inch of all creation and all things, and and, and so and so even like our partnership here at Safford School, I just like coram Deo, this phrase that God has said, live all of life in my presence, like live all of life before me. That that that, that our view of Him and His sovereignty, like a like a an authority powerful parent overlooking his or her children playing, that that's our understanding. And that that would come from a Reformed position. Now, it would also be really unloving and really disingenuous to pretend like there is not a boatload of evil and pain that has been perpetuated, not only in the last. 400 years by the reformed tradition or church, but in the last five years as a church here, as a church plant, that there are things, that, there are realities that have come out of um, the reformed camp, if you will, of Calvinism that is really unloving, that's really, that we need to also recognize is just true. And we need to grieve it, and we need to not hide from it and we need to confess it and repent of it. A few things that come to mind here that I want to list out um, earlier. As I said, ironically, the Reformed tradition is some of the biggest culprits of, of, of creating a build-your-own God. And those in this room who I know that we connect with and we share names with and get all and kind of nerd out together on Reformed theology stuff, like if we're honest with ourselves, we're some of the worst culprits of build a God. And we would say, no, never. We submit to the one true and holy God. And, but yet we come up with lists and we, all these things that that is, as I said earlier, like I think Mike Williams, I I love because he could own any of us. He's more reformed, more Calvinist, whatever. And yet he just blasts our own tradition because he knows that we tend to put God in a little neat, tidy box. Contrary to what we would ever say. And, And that's a danger. And we do that and we tend to do that. Also, we depersonalize God, right? Something else that he said in that that time, in in that class, he said said something along the lines of, listen, people never change their lives because you beat them in an argument and you got them to sign off on a list. Okay, he said, lives changed by people witnessing changed lives and experiencing love that comes from a loving father. And again, sadly, when people think of Calvinist, usually loving is not the first thing on the list. Okay. Similarly, arrogance. There is an arrogance that we tend to walk with that any of this conversation comes with. Complementarian and reform tend to go hand in hand with arrogant, angry white men. Right, guys. That's that's us. That's probably been some of the sermons I've preached. That's probably been some of the sermons that others have preached here. That some of the language we've used, the ways we've led through small groups, through conversations. We need to grieve that and recognize that. Um, one, actually, Joe Jewell, and was talking and he was saying, I don't get why people that, that say we, we, we um, adhere to the doctrines of grace are like the least gracious people. Um, there's another quote by John Newman, some of you guys know, former slave owner, and then um, became an abolitionist and wrote, um, wrote uh, main, Amazing Grace. This is what he said. He said, Calvinists should be the meekest and most patient of all men if we really believe what we say we do again that god is sovereign that he is great and holy and loving and that our salvation and our our, is only a product of his grace of his initiating love we love because he first loved us right if that's again calvinist we should be the calmest and kindest people again not words people would usually uh put on us No matter how angry and mean our world becomes, the humbling theology of Calvinism is undermined by embittered, angry, and scornful words. Again, we need to grieve this. We need to recognize that's not good. Similarly, there is a history of racism that as we sit today and say, well, the liberal church is, you know, and I'll just name some, right, Episcopalian and Methodist and all the Arminian one, right, they're, they're taking culture down. Well, our tradition was um, some of the first um, leaders in the transatlantic slave trade, all right? The Reformed church was at best silent and most often um, like perpetuating leading the slave trade uh, a bunch of names that we would probably quote George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards and um, Philip L- L- Hivingston um, was one of the fir- he was the head of theology at Princeton at the time, the most reformed Presbyterian institution, and he was also actively involved in the slave trade, also signed the Declaration of Independence all right like that's not good some just to again, recognize some of the tension we're in. Some African American um, pastors and influencers that I love and follow and read walk through this tension. A r- r- resource I can let you know. I would encourage you to watch this or listen to it. It's if you just type in, if you just typed in er- Eric Mason and Lecrae and Shylin. There's this interview, this conversation they have, but it's specifically called theological imperialism in the Black community. And these are people that would say they would identify with Calvinism. But, but particularly, um, they, they all three said, I, I don't use those terms. They say, because I know when I'm, I'm trying to lead a, a, a person of color to Christ, and I give them a sermon, and, it's, and they hear this language, and these people quoted and referenced, and they hear Martin Luther, who, by the way, Adolf Hitler quoted a ton, all right, not that Martin Luther, is, we've quoted him here before, but we need to recognize the tension and the brokenness. Okay, this needs to, hear me again, inform the conversation. Okay, we, we've got to stop kind of putting all the skeletons in the closet and just recognize and grieve, yeah, that's a part of our ugly past. Again, for the last 400 years, 500 years, 2,000 years, five years, probably 20, 30 minutes and that should inform how we enter into these things, into these conversations. Um, again, I'll just give you a list if you're looking at a couple more people. Carl Ellis and Anthony Carter are some other um, people who I think navigate through these conversations. Those are men of color who, who would identify with Calvinism but do a really good job of, I think, we, the majority culture, need to learn from. How do we recognize the brokenness, and how does that inform continuing in this conversation with the relationship of love. So now, ultimately, what do we do from here? Where do we go from here? Again, hopefully you're not feeling resolved, okay? This is by no means the beginning of the conversation or the end of the conversation. We're going to have a little Q&A over here to my left, your right, after at the end of the, end of the service, and that'll also not be the end of the conversation, we just want to keep this. So how do we do that? What does it look like? Well, as I very rarely do, I actually have a list for you and a couple things we can do. What do we do with this? We keep talking, not in echo chambers. We talk to each other. We talk with people who, who don't necessarily agree. We have honest, safe conversation. We create space okay, to talk together. We read scripture together. We, we, we know the story Where does my whole arsenal of of verses and your whole arsenal of verses come together under the bigger picture where Jesus is clearly the author and the hero of the story? All right, where do we come together? We read scripture, we learn together that we would be saturated by grace, Okay there's there's a phrase some of you guys know this that we would communicate and live and operate in every relationship hear me now in in this way that that it would be um that it would be grace and truth in love over time Now I'm going to skip ahead to um to number 9 cuz I think it fits there If you guys remember uh uh Aaron Rodgers, right? He was getting interviewed and he spelled out relax, R-E-L-A-X, like that's a place to be. Just take a breath, right? He's like, I'm the best quarterback. Well, after Tom Brady, but whatever, he's like, relax. And he, this whole confident thing. But again, that we would have a non-anxious presence. Again, sadly, people that supposedly submit to and trust in an almighty sovereign God, a King who's building a kingdom who cannot be thwarted are some of the most anxious antsy people. Oh no, we've got to defend God. Like we say God is holy and righteous and powerful. And then we act though, like he's a little wimpy like younger brother that needs to be protected. And we need to go out and whip everyone into shape to respect him. We can relax. We can. We don't have to get everyone in in line. We can slow down. Um, as I see, this is why I don't do do lists. I, I kind of lose my place. Um, saturated by grace, number five, that we would scrutinize ourselves. There's this this phrase that we would be more gracious with people less like us, and more, and that we would scrutinize ourselves. Okay, that people that we would say, oh whoa, they're a charismatic, Armenian egalitarian. Tradition, that we would be more quick to say, what do we have to learn from them? What is, man, what are they really, really getting right that, that, we, that we are so not? Again, why are they more excited in their expression of worship than we are out of our supposedly right theology? <laughs> like what, what can, you know, like that we would be gracious and that we would be more scrutinizing of ourselves. Number six, Listen. James 1.19, be slow to speak and quick to listen. Slow to anger. It was said earlier, this powerful message of what's going on there in, in, this, in, in the healing journey that people listen. Men, this, maybe next week we'll get into this. Out of the last 200 plus mass shootings, how many of them have been women that have been the culprits? yeah there's an anger that again not exclusively is not just a man problem but maybe predominantly that when we talk about these things that there wouldn't be an anger there'd be a quickness to listen to learn to love to extend grace and kindness and we would learn each other's stories again the w- w- women earlier shared so well so beautifully on that how much could we learn about God and his bigness and, and right theology if we were actually learning each other's stories and then, and then again, going back to the scripture and seeing where does this fit? Where is this informed by, by, by God's story? And then just lastly, I know I skipped. <laughs> number eight, we'd embrace the learning process. Okay, like Again, reformed theology lends itself to saying, Jesus is bringing something about in us. He's growing us into Christ-likeness that, that one day we will be glorified with him fully. And he's now bringing us on this process. And so we can submit to that process. We can learn together. We can grow together non-anxiously. So ultimately now as we, as we pray together, Some would say, oh, this is reform, this is Calvinism. Our prayer as a church, though we're not gonna hide away from the lenses through which we look, that we would be biblical. That our our hope is that we would be loving, gentle, kind, spirit-dependent. That we would grow in Christ-likeness together because Jesus is the author and the hero of the story, and we pray that would be reflected in how we have these hard conversations. All right, let's pray together. Again, Father, um, we submit to your word. Um, we grieve where there has been brokenness, Lord, where, where reformed theology and Calvinism has been used to perpetuate unspeakable evil. In some cases, the Holocaust, the slave trade, um, segregation, um, even in the m- more recent history, it's, it's, it's not the way it should be. And, and, and it's, it's not the heritage that we want to have, the legacy we want to be carrying on. And we recognize though, that it is a part of our story as people who would say we're reformed Calvinists. Lord, we pray that the good stuff, a high view of you that leads to safety and security and confidence and hope, Lord, a right view of self that leads us to humility or to repentance, we pray those things would be produced among us, but the things that are, that are not the way they should be, that, that, are, that are broken, that don't reflect you in your heart, Lord, we pray that we would be quick to repent of, to grieve. And Lord, lastly, in all these things, we so desperately depend on your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you lead us individually in our homes, in our families, in our communities, and as a whole church, Lord, to be faithful, to be, to be biblical, or to depend on your Spirit.